All right. Channeling my inner mat. Oh. <laughs> uh. Hello, and welcome to Medium Salt, the podcast that waxes nostalgic about 90s movies. Today is a light salt segment wherein we discuss other topics related to film and media and society in general. Our topic today is auteur theory, the good, the bad, the meh. I am one of your hosts, Kate, and I'm joined by my excellent friend, Matt. But first, good morning, Matt. What'd you eat for breakfast today? Um... I had toast like I do most mornings and coffee. <laughs> I believe you toast? forgot to... Did you mention what we were covering today? Yeah. I said our topic today is auteur theory. Oh, okay. Sorry. I I'm, I must have spaced it. I space I'll a lot of things. I'll do it again. Our topic today <laughs> no. is auteur theory. <laughs> I made sure to do it this uh, time because I was like, all right, check. Said the name of the show. Said what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Said our no, names. No, that's, that's fair. Because I yeah. always forget one of the things. <laughs> Sorry, it was, I'm, I'm so used to doing it that like listening to it done is like that. Was, surely that was too fast. There's no way we covered all the things because when yeah. you're doing it, it feels like you're talking forever. Oh, that's fair. I also talk too fast when I'm nervous. Well, don't be yeah. nervous. This is like our twelfth recording or some shit. Like we've been yeah. doing this a minute. Nervous isn't right, but I'm like, yeah. ah, this is less casual and or like I could talk forever to you just about whatever. So. Hmm. Hmm. What, anyway. did you, what have you done this morning? You, you, you talking about my coffee and toast. What, what are you up to? <laughs> uh, I woke up super early and I ran to Home Depot because I'm having some plumbing issues. Where, um, the uh, So I have a casita behind my house and my sister-in-law is going to be staying there for a couple of days when she flies in to quarantine mm-hmm. because the world's on fire. Yeah. And if you flush the toilet, the water comes up the shower and bubbles out. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not great. So I went and got some drain cleaner and I've got an auger down it and trying to trying to fix it. Um, Yeah. So that was my morning that fed fed uh, all my critters, which is no small feat because I have a lot of critters. That's usually the first thing I do when I wake up, either Mm. because it's the first thing that I tend to do or because my cat Basil demands it. Like this morning, she woke me up by scratching me in the (laughs) Well, she started scratching the blanket and I ignored her. And that was really my fault. And then she moved to the face. So Foolish. Foolish. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't feed her the right food. So she's still unhappy. I'm uh, like, oh, okay, well. How could you? I, I didn't I've been really having trouble breakfast. feeding my cats. Um, oh, yeah? Because the, there's been a, for some reason, the, well, the brand of cat food that they really like. Mm-hmm. And I feed them a variety of stuff because I spoil the crap out of them. Same. Um. But one of the foods, one of the brands, like the entire brand that I use uh, has been having huge supply issues. I have been hearing about that, um, which I'm shocked And it's shocked been by. really difficult um, because they're really picky. Like it took mm-hmm. me a long time to finally settle on the current like rotation that mm-hmm. I know that they all like and treats their digestion well and all that stuff. But, um, and one of the issues I used to have was that food would constantly go in and out of production, especially on Mm -hmm. some of the higher-end brands. So I was like, okay, that's enough. I'm going to stick to the established higher-end brands. I'm not going to do any of this fancy new shit. Independent. Yeah. So I'm going to do stuff that like, like, so one of the brands is the ones that like you always see at the vet, right? right? I'm like, they're Mm -hmm. supplying veterinarians. They're not going anywhere. Until. Uh, Yeah, until fucking Corona, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so it's I, been rough for that. I feel that. I was I live in mortal fear of that. And so ever since my sweet princesses were babies, I just switch their food constantly. They're just used mm. to getting their food changed a lot. And so they'll eat almost anything. Basil also really likes bread, which is not oh. good for cats, but she's mm. tried to she's tried to I say try. She did effectively do it. She stole an entire taco off my plate once. Oh my god. She took her little claw and stuck it in the tortilla Ew. and just pulled it off. And I'm Gross. like, yeah, well, she didn't eat it. She just likes to watch the world burn, Matt. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, my cats are old and grumpy and lazy. Like they, they, they used they to get like freaked change. out by they hate change. But the thing is, is also like they don't like change. They also refuse to be bothered by anything, which is funny. <laughs> they just like if I give them food they don't like, they just won't eat it. Which is frustrating. Yeah. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I, so there are weeks I spend more money on the cat's food than I do my own. Yeah. Um, but like when we brought in the Christmas tree, you know, a couple, like last month when we got the Christmas tree in, it used to freak them out every year. We, whenever something like that would change furniture around or move something in, they would, they would be freaked out for days. This, this time they just like hung out in their little cat tower, <laughs> could not be bothered. Curled up, they were like napping. They look up. What are you doing? Uh, humans are being stupid again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, I feel like there's nothing that you could introduce to their environment that would be more erratic or disruptive than your son. That's Not true. About him I think as that a has person, a lot to do with it, actually. Children in general. Now they're like, all right, we've seen it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, that has a lot to do with it. Like, he's very gentle with the cats. Like, he doesn't bother them but he's just loud and a person and yeah i mean he's a toddler right so and and we tried to enforce enforce early on that like you know the cat's like gentle they like quiet don't stomp around don't pull their tails you know and he's been really good about that except for the stomping around because he just gets really excited (laughs) yeah um i've sort of trained my cats to have the same sort of distrust and dismay about strangers that i do so anytime someone rings the doorbell and I'm not expecting anyone, I tense and look towards the door and so do they. And it's hilarious. And also, yeah. you know, yeah. So anyway, auteur theory. Auteur theory. So I am largely planning on this episode, at least for me, to be kind of learning from you because when mm-hmm. I first mentioned this to you, you were like, oh, of course, auteur theory. And I was like, yeah, there's no of course. I've never heard of this before. Um, I found yeah, it. That, I was all excited about it. <laughs> that but you're surprised a film me person. too. Yeah. yeah. So like, so, there's a lot of these like little things. Like I went, you know, I I made decisions and I went to film school, <laughs> and um, and then I you know, and I worked in film for a while, and then you know, I was then video, then VFX. So a lot of the stuff that I take for granted, like just like normal background information, mm-hmm. I forget a lot of the times is not like common knowledge mm-hmm. just for like just regular normal people. Well, um, I wouldn't call myself regular or normal because I don't know that those things exist, but also everyone's got gaps. Maybe everyone yeah, knows about yeah. this and it's just my turn to learn about it, but I'm going to pretend mm. not everyone does and we should learn about it. Cause it's well, interesting. Well, didn't either. And I'm like, hey. we've been married for so long. I guess I just don't talk about anything. Cause you know, what is it? <laughs> it's like the uninitiated, <laughs> Well, now you are initiated, aren't you, Kate? I am. So I'll tell you at least my, like, from my very basic research, not having the depth of knowledge about this that you do. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that 
in a world where you have to apparently assign authorship to a work of art, the Mm -hmm. director gets that authorship. But not Mm -hmm. all of them. Only specific directors that meet these really uh, um, specific criteria. And there's three Mm -hmm. three steps of increasing Mm -hmm. nebulousness. Uh, the first one being that the author, or sorry, the director has to be competent. So apparently, like mm-hmm. the way that they say it is you have to be a good director to be a great director. The mm-hmm. second one is that you imbue your own style and or like meaning and or life or whatever into the movie, right? And then the third one is mm-hmm. you have internal meaning that mm-hmm. this is the weirdest one. You have internal meaning in your thing which basically means what struggles did you go through to get the movie made and what, whatever, whatever. Yeah, that one's a little, you know, so that's more or less it, right? Like auteur theory at its most basic is that there is an author, like just like a book has an author, just like an artist has a painter. There is someone responsible for the piece of art that is a film. Right. And you could argue that and there have been kind of debates, right? Like yeah, so right now we're at we're under the understanding that the uh, the author of a film is the director. So you have mm-hmm. these auteur directors. Um basically if you know a director's name, they're, they're an pretty an much director. an auteur director, right? Like if they're a household name. Because no one no one really gives a shit who makes their movies. Um they ca- they most people care about who's in the movies, right? Right. Like like the so actors' are, names who are box office draws. Yeah. Um, if you're a director and you're a box office draw, that's kind of an auteur situation. Yeah. That's another thing, right? It's not a super easy... It's sort of like obscenity. You're supposed to know it when you see it kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, and the hard thing is, is that film, a lot like stagecraft or television to an extent is 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 a very collaborative medium it involves a lot of different arts coming together mm-hmm. and it's hard to pinpoint like one person responsible for a work and there's a lot of argument even now if the director truly is the person we should be giving authorship and not say the writer of the script because the writer has a lot of influence into what the film is too. And then I would, and then you, you would also argue, well, the producer comes in and fucks all that shit up anyway. So, you know, the buck has to stop somewhere and the director makes sense because the director on the day has a lot of decision-making to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's tough. And then there are some directors who clearly bring something to the table, right? Like, right. you know, when you're like, no one else can make a Tarantino film. Or a Wes right, Anderson like, film. Yeah. Um, there's something essential Although, about those works that clearly go to a director, but there is a point that like most of those directors do tend to work with the same guys over and over again because they mm-hmm. like working with them. So like you could right. argue that that director and his group of people are, are the author of the film. Well, and I read something that basically argued that Tarantino is not a true auteur in the classic sense because he writes his own movies and if you're supposed to be an auteur director you're literally taking the source material and then making your work of art from it right like kubrick or something yeah and or uh, hitchcock or um spielberg is a great example right you know it doesn't matter if spielberg's doing space or dinosaurs he's spielberg 
So yeah. it's, <laughs> I'll tell you my initial immediate problem with it. And it's mm-hmm. this huge glaring thing. There's a group of people, several actually, who are not included in any of the discussions of people we've mentioned yet. Women mm. and minorities, right? So to we me, have not mentioned sig- them yet, but there are definitely some, like definitely a Spike Lee, right? Yes, that's true. But basically when I'm reading these lists, the top 10, the top 20, whatever, mm-hmm. they're almost entirely white dudes. Yes. And I'm wondering if it's not some sort of subtle way of, I don't want to say disenfranchising, but basically if if you go with the idea that, you know, collaboration and listening to other people's input and taking direction are more feminine qualities, a female director, not that there are very many anyway, but a female director is much less likely to attain this, what I kind Mm. of consider an egotistical status of a tour. Yeah. I think based on a little bit my own experience, which is anecdotal, and then just in general knowledge of the industry, like it is just an industry dominated by white men. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think most of your auteurs, most of your whatever are going to be white men because that's how it's shaken down. And that really speaks more to a larger like societal issue where like minorities and women aren't like encouraged to go into it. And when they are, they're kind of otherized because they, you know, they look different or act different or, Mm -hmm. you know, are gendered differently. They don't know the unspoken rules of being a director. They also don't have the Good old boy, Harvey Weinstein connection, smoking yeah. cigars in a back I mean, room. It's, a, it's a very, it's a very nepotistic industry as it mm-hmm. is. I had a hard time in it. Right. <laughs> um, like, it seems like it's a, it's an industry designed to make you have a hard time. Yeah. Right? So yeah. my sister-in-law went out to LA to become an actress. I mean, she already I'm was sorry. like, she, <laughs> yeah, she, she's kind of sorry too. not, not because she's not good at it. I think she's great and she's gorgeous and funny, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you nope, know, it does it not. Doesn't, doesn't really matter how good you are at things. It just matters how, who you know and how much shit you're willing to put up with. And she's not really a putting mm-hmm. up with shit sort of person, which is what I like about her. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. It's, it's definitely, if you're not putting up with, with anything, then it's definitely who you know. Mm hmm. And it's even harder as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it can Especially be, if you're not like a Megan Fox, you know? Right. And even like, then, it's incredibly predatory. Yeah, like, the stories that Megan came Foxes. out about Weinstein are the horror show, right? <laughs> he may be the person who got convicted of doing it, but it is an industry standard that that happens. So. Yeah, it's, it's a widespread problem. Yeah. It's like an open secret. Uh, so, it's, it's awful. <laughs> yeah. So I find the whole auteur theory interesting. Like it started with French directors who were kind of idolizing American directors, right? Mm. Uh, It was a French director who wrote like in the 1950s, wrote Mm -hmm. an essay about, you know, how the director is actually the author of films because the other two schools of thought are that the author of films are collaborative, God forbid, or that there's the writer that matters, right? Who wrote the story. And I think it's probably a little of everything. 
It, it, it really is. And it depends mm-hmm. on the production, like really, yeah. like what movie it is and, and who's directing it and like what support apparatus they have around them. Like there are other mediums where it's much easier to point at a mm-hmm. author like that, like TV like is very much a writer's medium. Like they give the writer all the power in a TV show. Mm-hmm. They call him the showrunner. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, actually, I said like a book, but you can take a shitty book and give it really good editing and it'll be amazing. But a great yeah. book with terrible editing is also terrible. So editors need some of that mm-hmm. credit, too. Yeah, yeah. Editors and, and publishing do not get enough credit. Um, I think the easiest example of that is you look at any author who became popular in the middle of a series and you'll notice that like after their population or after their popularity explodes, mm-hmm. the editing goes to like, they, it's like they, they can tell the editor, no, the author oh, has the yeah. clout. They don't need to, they don't need the editor anymore. And the books balloon in size, the plot lines go everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, easiest example is like George R. R. Martin. Oh yeah. Like the fir- the first three <laughs> books, the first three books are like tight and awesome but still like really complex and gorgeous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like starting with the fourth book on after he really got popular, like this was before even the TV show, mm-hmm. right? Like the books ballooned in size and they started spreading out the publishing dates and then by the fifth book, like that was the last one that got released cuz the show hit and mm-hmm. he, and and George didn't know what to do and he probably stopped listening to his editor. Yeah, but you know what? Editors pure, matter. Pure speculation, by the way. I have oh no gosh. idea what's going on in those rooms. A but. good editor is worth their weight in gold, right? Yeah. Like you find one and you keep them forever. It's funny because we just talked, uh, the last episode we recorded was about Troy Duffy, who mm-hmm. thinks he's an auteur. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he kind of is. Yeah. An auteur of like one and a half movies. <laughs> he is but like he's the he's the example of an auteur gone wrong right yeah like yeah you give you balloon someone's ego and they stop considering other people and they think that they're the shit and they are terrible to everyone right like he's terrible yeah. to all the cast and he's terrible to i'm sure he's terrible to production assistants like i just can't imagine him being kind to anyone um yeah. some of the uh People, some of the directors who were early identified as auteurs kind of rejected the label because they're like, this Mm -hmm. is just my craft. It's a trade. I'm not, I'm not some sort of artist that needs this sort of accolade. This is just my trade. And much the same way, like if I was a a bricklayer or something, Mm -hmm. maybe I would have a specific like look to the bricks, but it's still just me building something out of all these materials that were given to me. And I kind of like that. I kind of like seeing it as a trade and less of a, I don't know. Cause there are definitely films who are art films <laughs> and then there's Marvel, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I love a good Marvel movie. They're the ones I watch when I have insomnia because I know that it's the, it's the fruity pebbles of the movie world, right? They're easily digestible. They're colorful and I like them. So yeah, I mean, Marvel is, as a phenomena is like its own episode, right? Um, and looking at like auteur theory with Marvel is kind of weird because as as Marvel developed, mm-hmm. you definitely had a few directors who were doing good work and then a lot of other directors who were not doing good work. Marvel was very hit or miss. But then they gave one of the, the directors like more clout and more power within the whole MCU. And then like that producer like they became producer like it started to kind of all come together like marvel's is really more of a producer's franchise than it is a director's franchise 
Um, like if there was it was if there was an auteur or an author of the Mar- any of the Marvel movies, it's it's the producers, it's the executive mm-hmm. producers. It's not right. Certainly not one of the directors. Because they have this really specific thread that they're trying to maintain, right? It's like they decided, mm-hmm. hey, you know, TV is really cool and that you just keep making new episodes and you have the same story and everything. What if we did that but charge people for every episode and every episode was two hours long? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's genius. <laughs> brilliant. So, brilliant. Yeah, because like they had they had um, Joss Whedon. Whedon. Sorry, do mm-hmm. a couple of movies, right? Yeah, a couple of Avengers movies, yeah. And they were really well the done. Good you ones, could definitely yeah. like I, you could see the the weed and touch in some of the oh, dialogue yeah, yeah. and the snappiness, but yeah. ultimately Oh, and the way the ensemble came together, especially particularly in the first movie. The second movie was eh. But the yeah. first the first Avengers film, like the way everything came together, the the teamwork, it, it, mm-hmm. like echoes of of Buffy and Firefly and all the fun mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yeah. I think one thing that's really important about when when considering auteur theory is the the work's relationship to that author mm-hmm. and like that author's personal stake stake their views and like what they imbue into the work mm-hmm. and the mess and how that affects the message of of the work of the piece do you have a favorite auteur director i used to i know you still really love tarantino i i like tarantino films and mostly Right. Like mm-hmm. I find them entertain. I don't find them as entertaining as I used to. Same. Which is a bummer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're fun. I, you know what I'm, I know what I'm getting when I go into one. Right. Um, and I'm never, I'm not usually disappointed, mm-hmm. but I think my, like, it's just like what I'm looking for in media is just a little different Yeah. than what I can get like on the marketplace right now. Um, I'm really enjoying Villeneuve's work lately. I love the work he did on, Blade Runner and on Dune. Yes. I love Aronofsky. Um, I also love Del Toro. Yeah. Man, Del Toro's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. Del Toro just came out with, oh, I watched it with Aaron the other day, Antlers. Mm. And it was horrifying. Oh, yeah. So yeah. He has, a, he has a very unique vision. He does and that I, he like, that he brings to, to to screen with his team. Mm-hmm. Um, his entire team is just wonderful. Pan's Labyrinth completely blew me away. Yeah, absolutely. Saw that in theaters. Yeah, same. Um, and so from like the, I knew immediately. I knew this is a person. You know, you know the thousand yeah. true fan theory, right? Like mm-hmm. you only need a thousand true fans to uh, basically make it as a as an artist or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I'm definitely one of his a thousand true fans. Same with Wes Anderson. I know you don't really like Wes Anderson as much as I do, but yeah. I really enjoy the playfulness and the whimsy that Wes Anderson yeah. brings to to his works because I don't feel like I feel like whimsy is one of the things that's largely missing, especially in adult media. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. I just don't go out of my way to watch his films. I, they just uh, I'm not the audience for that. Right? Like I'll watch them and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a good movie. But I don't like I don't stand. Whereas it, I'm like, oh, right? a Wes Anderson film? I stand you, Wes Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Isle of Dogs, yes, please. Moonlight, Moonrise Kingdom, ugh, everything, so good. Yeah, I want to like I don't know. I'm I'm lately what I've been looking for is more like diversity in sci-fi. 
Mm, yes. And I'm getting a lot of that in fiction, in books, but I'm not getting a lot of that in film. And mm-hmm. that like bums me out. Like, I feel like if we had like an Octavia Butler director for films, like that would be great. <laughs> like someone who can just, or, or, or NK Jemison, like someone who can just really oh, bring something really out there to the table. Up the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of, because a lot of, and this actually kind of does tie into auteur theory a little bit. A lot of these auteur directors, especially now, like the, the, the newer ones, the young ones coming up, I feel like a lot of people who work in the industry, a lot of people who produce any kind of content at all, they lack outside influence and interest. So like a lot of movies and a lot of TV to an extent, TV is kind of in a good spot right now, but a lot of media is very self-referential. Yeah, so it's like this endless cycle, right? Yeah, it just feels really derivative. Oh, look, this came from a a 1950s French film, or this came from yeah. a whatever. And I'm like, what about new stuff? Yeah, and, and that's there's a place for all that stuff. Like, knowing your history is important, especially as an artist. Well, but so- being able to bring in, like, outside stuff is mm-hmm. really, really important, too. Like, Villeneuve clearly likes to read, and I love mm-hmm. that. I wish right. more people liked to read Mm-hmm. But I have a whole, man, I could go on forever about how people don't read anymore, and it bothers me. That's why this is a light salt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. And I, I don't know. I think I kind of want to push back a little bit on the idea that you have to know your history. I feel like knowing your history is more important for craft than it is for art. But mm. I also kind of have this position in my mind and maybe my heart about mm-hmm. art as a as a means of expression that can be unhampered and doesn't have any requirements or burdens placed upon it. Right. Oh, so there man, have, I couldn't disagree with that more. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, there are. Well, and so it's really, it's a naive sort of wishful thinking kind of view of art. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think that the truest form of art is a art that doesn't last and B art that doesn't serve a purpose. Like those mm-hmm. are like the, in, in, in an echelon of so like the Tibetan sand murals, things that are just done for the sake of creating beauty and introducing it mm-hmm. into the world. That's like the truest form of art to me. I know that mm. there have been films that are made by people who are not super technical directors, but that are still beautifully done. And so I mm. definitely think that there are exceptions to this idea that you have to you have to know everything that's come before you in order to create anything. And maybe part of the reason why I want to push back against that is when I try to create things, I feel a pressure from that school of thought, right? Mm. I'm afraid of stepping on toes that I don't know exist. Like if I'm going to write something or draw something, I'm like, what if I'm accidentally rediscovering something that someone already did and it's going to seem derivative, but I didn't know it existed. You know? Oh, well, yeah, that's. I think that's a little bit different than what I mean. Um, when it when 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 it comes to knowing your history, especially mm-hmm. if you're working in a medium like film, which mm-hmm. ha- like film's only been around for like a hundred years, some change. It's not hard to know your history, but because it's also it's a medium on top of like a technology mm-hmm. and understanding. Wouldn't you be able to say that about everything, though, in some sense? I, I mean, to an extent. To an extent, for sure. I think I think film and like television and technology go hand in hand a lot right now because they're still evolving a mm-hmm. lot more than like painting. Um, yes, 
I'm sure there's new formulations being created for paint, but it doesn't fundamentally change the way things are painted. I think the thing that puts this in a different different realm, which is also tying back into auteur theory, is the fact that you cannot make a movie by yourself entirely. Yeah. Or if you do, it will be like a stick figure drawing <laughs> equivalent, right? right? You, you kind of can, right? But yeah. So because... Because the technology of visual storytelling like film and like TV has changed so much and so rapidly, mm -hmm. that change has affected how we tell stories. Mm. It'd be like if, if, if you were writing a book in the time of Shakespeare, that would like you, you would have to understand what Shakespeare was doing to, to cause, because Shakespeare is changing the language, right? right? So like you're trying to write a book mm -hmm. and the language is constantly evolving. To tell your story well, you really have to be paying attention to how stories are told and the development of that kind of arc. Mm -hmm. So with technology, because certain things are and are not possible because of technical limitations, understanding how we got to this point mm -hmm. matters and why, why culture and society, uh, uh, there are certain values and ideas that we assign to various visual standards that have a lot to do with how the technology developed. Right. Like when you see handheld shaky cam, mm -hmm. you think realistic gritty documentary type <laughs> thing. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with how documentaries were filmed and made, particularly uh, a genre called cinema verite, which we could get into as a whole other bite salt sometime. But like you had, you had these directors like the Maisel's brothers and, and some other just really amazing people out there who were like pushing the bounds of what was possible with their film cameras back in the day. Because mm -hmm. film cameras used to be like these huge, giant, 100-pound right. motherfuckers. And these guys are like, they're trying to make it lighter. They can handhold it and carry it around and change the entire way that documentaries and those stories were told. And then that mm -hmm. got translated into like reality TV. And like, then film started adapting it for like the, the Jason Bourne movies. Mm-hmm. And there's like a lineage there. And I think that lineage can inform how you and why you tell the story the way you do. I see what you mean, but I also kind of see it as creating its own problem. Because like you said, right, you want someone with these outside influences and these new ideas. And I think in the same way that we were talking about at some point in one of the previous episodes, oh, it was the three act structure. Mm -hmm. um, things becoming instead of a skeletal framework for jumping off, mm -hmm. people use them as a prison, right? So people yeah. will go into film saying, well, I have to do it this way because all the people before me did, you know? Yeah. And well, and I would argue if you're going into film, like just starting out, absolutely. Yes, yeah. you do. Don't do weird right? stuff. <laughs> if, if you don't understand what you're doing, you're not going to make anything good. Yeah. If you do, well, it'll be by accident. I mean, sometimes the best art is by accident, not the Boondock Saints, but sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to ride that line. And there's a the whole idea about, I guess, and it's a whole Hollywood thing, right? Like putting mm -hmm. your chops in, spending your time, you know, paying your dues, which I disagree with, right? Like, I feel like any artistic medium... No, don't you, don't get me started on pay your dues. Yeah, Do it's not like okay, pay, you, oof, you mm. need to suffer <laughs> as much as I suffered, so that at some point you will be as 
as jaded as I am and you will make the same yeah. movies, you know? Listen, you, if you're getting into the film business at all, one, don't. Two. Why don't we just start our own film company? <laughs> no. Absolutely <laughs> not. If you're getting into film and someone tells you you need to pay your dues, run. Yeah. Okay? Because it is a term used exclusively by old assholes to basically abuse you. Yep. Um, because you don't know any better. To justify the current and future mistreatment yeah. of you. Yeah. The idea of pay your dues is just get experience, right? That's There's nothing wrong with that. Everyone needs to, to get some experience to, to do some things. But if someone tells you that you need to pay your dues before you can X, Y, Z, go, mm -hmm. you know, they can go fuck themselves because they're full of shit and they're trying to abuse you. They're trying to, to, to take advantage of you and your situation. Right. Rather than, and I feel like this is true more in Hollywood than almost any other industry, rather than having mm -hmm. an apprenticeship or a mentoring sort of system where there are people who know more and they help you. It's mm -hmm. more like you're just standing on people's heads and seeing how many people you can squish and who makes it, I guess. Yeah. That's just. You know, I, I paid good. my dues for fucking years. Like I, I worked on, so my history with the film industry, I, I got into the film. I worked on like three feature length films. Working 16 out like 12, 16 hour days, six days a week, easily 80 hours a week for, for, for multiple films. And a film shoot can go on for, for four to six weeks easy. Um, did three full feature films, worked completely for free. You worked for free on three for free movies? Because I yes, because I was paying my dues and building a network. That's oh, what I thought yeah. I was doing. What was really happening is I was being taken advantage of by a bunch mm -hmm. of fucking assholes. Yeah. And then. The fourth film, I finally get paid working abusive hours for over six weeks. How much did you get paid? $50 a day. What? Yeah. So like if you worked 16 hours, hold on, math. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, 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 a, it's terrible. It's awful. It's, it's illegal, and I didn't know any better oh at the time. Oh, my gosh, that's much less than minimum wage. That's like $3.13 yes. an hour. Yeah, and I'm not getting tips. No, so, you're such a um, sure aren't. <laughs> yeah. So then, and then the fifth film, or I got a call. And so the idea that what I've been, what I've been told and blah, blah, blah. And, and how generally I was told things work is, you know, you get in with the crew, you work with those guys. And then like, you know, when move, when new films and movies come up, you all just kind of work together and you move together from film to film to film, very brotherly mm -hmm. and wonderful. Oh yeah. Fuck that shit. I got a call for the fifth thing. Guy was like, hey, we need to work in this like dangerous flooded basement. And I was I was a lighting tech, right? So I worked mm -hmm. on with elect high power electricity, <laughs> you know, thousand multi-thousand watt generators, cables as thick as your wrist, that kind of shit. And I'm working in a flooded fucking basement. And he's like, Yeah, we can only give you like a hundred. It wasn't even a hundred a day. Oh my goodness. And I told the guy, I was like, listen. And this was someone who like taught me all the ropes, someone I considered like a bit of a mentor. Of mm -hmm. course, now I kind of know he probably knew about as much as I did. And this isn't, this isn't on him. He, he's, you know, he's a nice guy. He's just in the trenches I, with you, right? Like, yeah. Um, but he taught me a bunch of stuff and he called me on, on these jobs. And then I get called for this job I'm, and uh, it's dangerous. I know the hours are going to be long and I'm working with high power electronics. And, you know, he, he paid me a, a gross a gross wage. I was like, sorry, man, I can't, I can't do that. I got bills to pay. I, I need more money. Never heard from that guy again. Wow. And that's when I knew it was just full of shit. The whole yeah. fucking industry. I hate how much 
especially in skills and art specifically, this idea of just do things for free until things work out. No Mm. one. Okay. In a capitalist system, which is what we are all imprisoned in, no one Mm -hmm. should work for free ever, Mm -hmm. ever. No free Mm -hmm. internships, no free whatever. If you want to volunteer your time for a cause that you care about, it's called volunteering. You know, you don't have to be there. Yeah. There were multiple times on that. The the job I was getting paid $50 for, for working stupid hours. I almost died a few times. Oh my God. Like I was, I was like long driving all over the goddamn state. Mm-hmm. There were a few times where I definitely LC. almost nodded off. Like, yeah, like at the wheel, like luckily I had, you know, I had, I, I was driving with a, a buddy of mine mm-hmm. and we were keeping each other awake, but like, holy shit, that scared the, that scared the balls off of me. Yeah. That's horrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And then the, the, the movie ended up on lifetime the director made a shit ton of money. I yeah. made $50 a day. The That's producer the worst was a pedophile. Part. What? Woo! Yeah, the producer turns out the producer was a pedophile. Recently <sighs> got caught out. Oh, Matt. You're the ca- you're the cautionary whale. <laughs> yeah, I fucking hate I hate the way the film industry works. I think it's it's awful and I don't recommend anybody get into it. Yeah. And it sucks because I remember I remember young Matt and your love for film and your passion for it. You really, really, really loved it. And like, I know that recently it's kind of come back. Like you and I are having really good discussions about these films. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that you're enjoying, or I love, you know, I could be talking out of my ass, but I think that you're enjoying this, right? Like being a, being I like, a, I like talking about movies again, right. making movies sucks, but it took a really long time, I think, to get to here for you. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. you were really jaded for a number of years about. Oh yeah. Yeah films in general because yeah i mean i left film production and started doing video production because it was like chiller yeah like doing stupid little corporate talking head shit Mm -hmm. um that just didn't i couldn't i couldn't that just didn't bring in enough money and i ended up getting a job doing vr stuff at a studio doing more vfx type work that was that was a little better that was actually a living wage (laughs) you know actually i was able to build a life off of that but. It's just so crazy that, you know, you hear about these movies bringing in, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And you know that, mm-hmm. like, the gaffer or the production assistants, they're basically slaves, right? Yeah. And they're... they're I mean, gaffers tend to get paid okay, especially if they're union. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely looked on, down on. It's very much like blue collar mm-hmm. um, type of situation. I... Yeah, auteurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and then you know you well, have so, all these people slaving away, bleeding for for a film that they have almost no say in. Yeah, and the director gets to walk away and say, "Look what I made! Look what I made all by myself! Isn't this film great?" I you told wanna, people what to do. You want to interview me on TV about how I made this movie all by myself? Yeah, yeah, I think that kind of underlying thought is my biggest complaint about auteur theory. Like, I know mm-hmm. that it it rings hollow. Sometimes when people say, oh, but movies are a collaboration, but it's, they are a collaboration. It's, it's like a CEO taking credit for their entire company, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Full of of people making all of these decisions and people making all of these sacrifices. And it just adds insult to injury, right? We're going to choose one author who gets credit for this movie. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, the good directors will at least try to pay lip service to the people that they work with. But that lip service takes the form of, thank you all the little people who helped me yeah. work on this film, you know, the people yeah, who I mean, are yeah. on food stamps because they really like movies and they can't, you know. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately outdoor theory just is is a way for a film or a collaborate a group of collaborators to have a brand mm-hmm. and that brand is a person that person tends to be the director everyone gets to stand behind like you know you take a director and you take away their usual collaborate collaborators and you will see a change um mm-hmm. you know tarantino lost his editor um she passed away you know much too soon and it definitely affected tarantino's work yeah. like his work is noticeably different and it's it's not you know, it's not like Tarantino is a terrible filmmaker now. It's just things are different now because that person had a lot of impact and influence on the work. Mm-hmm. Just further kind of saying, it's like, listen, there's more to a film than just one director. Yeah. The movies that George Lucas's wife, I guess now ex-wife, worked mm-hmm. on are much better than the Star Wars movies than the ones yeah. that she did not. She was a huge portion, I think, of their success, and she's never credited well for it. Yeah, there's been a movement to give her more credit for the Star Wars films, and I think she deserves all, all of it, all the credit yeah. that she gets. Um, sure. I think a lot of people also misunderstand sometimes when they're like, well, Marshall Lucas saved the Star Wars movies. I'm like, yeah, that's that's every editor. Every editor saves every fucking movie. That's the editor's <laughs> job. That's the editor's <laughs> job. Yeah, they're there to rein in the artistic genius of the other person. Yeah. And then, you know, and when it comes to Star Wars and Lucas, like that's a whole, that's a whole ball of wax that we don't have time for because our time's just about up. That is true. We actually have filled up a good episode though. I really enjoyed talking about this with you. Yeah. I think there's a lot more to auteur theory. I feel like, um, even just as an introduction and a discussion, this is a good jumping off point. I think looking at how auteur theory relates to an author's, like the director's like personal beliefs and like how, Maybe it's its relationship to the death of the author. While those two things are not, um, they're not diametrically opposed, they're not exclusive, I think there's an interesting relationship they are worth talking about or looking into. So anybody who wants to look into more stuff, that's where I would, that's where I would recommend you go looking. Look at death of the author, look at two or three, and like think about how those two things come together. Awesome. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up for today. So... Thank you very much for joining us today. We always appreciate anything you have to say. If you want to drop us an email, visit us at our website, mediumsalt.com. We also have a Discord server, which is largely right now our friends and loved ones. So feel free to get in on that. And then um, please find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, stay stay salty. salty.